100% behind Q. He's working for the president, he's working for our country. Alien life, uh, like pedophiles, uh, you know, and it just seeks to tie all of that together. Welcome to the 92nd chapter of the QAnon Anonymous podcast, the original Demon Hunters episode. As always, we are your hosts, Jake Rokitansky, Julian Fields, and Travis Few. It is with no pleasure that I bring you news that Jake has hijacked the podcast on Maine and plans to bring you a beautiful story of some demon hunters named Ed and Lorraine in classic United States fashion. But before all that... QAnon News. Uh, first up, we have a trend piece for you. So uh, QAnon spreads to Instagram's fashionable influencers. QAnon is uh, branching out from its 4chan and far-right roots to reach attractive and charming people of Instagram. To cite one example, Jalen Schroeder, who is a fashion and lifestyle influencer with over 50,000 followers on Instagram, uh, has been sharing her journey towards getting pilled. <laughs> Yeah, what else are you going to do while you wait with the cucumbers on your eyes? Absolutely take a red pill. <laughs> In one uh, recent video, uh, Jalen offers tips on how to fall down the rabbit hole. It's been an awesome experience, and it's really opening up my um, my brain, and, and it's given me a lot of insight to a lot of things. And there's a lot of scary things out there, but there's no need to be scared. I've never felt more peace about this and that's why it's so important when you are digesting all this information that you slow down and take time for yourself especially before you go to bed so you're not having nightmares or thinking about it all night but take time for yourself listen to music meditate pray whatever whatever your thing is make sure that you are really like cleansing yourself and letting your mind just take a rest um there will be many nights that you probably won't sleep after you learn some of this because it's that awful so, just great i know in this video she never quite specifies why she's losing sleep so it's, it's, but that is the same thing as the organizer of the red pill Roadshow. you know as, as you all know haven't been sleeping much lately i think it's interesting that she says at the beginning of the video that she's never been more at peace yeah she's never been no. more, i've never been at poor at peace but also i can't stuff. sleep with this stuff so it's with like this stuff. there's no life before that stuff has entered it. Now there is only the life with this stuff. And the question is, how at peace can I become with it? You know, it's funny. I've noticed the kind of the influencer flavored version of QAnon. It kind of like it focuses less on the Hillary and Barack kind of angle. And they're yeah. more focused on the, the Hollywood pedos. Yeah. Hollywood like, pedos and the children. Yeah. Because that's like what mirrors actual reality for them. Like yeah. in, the, in the broad outlines, as we discussed in the last episode. Uh, there's another Instagram influencer named uh, Rebecca Pfeiffer, who has over 100 thousand followers and she has shared a picture of herself in a QAnon hat in between shots of herself in these stylish outfits uh, Pfeiffer explained why she got to QAnon in a statement to insider.com I only started sharing this information recently when I started feeling that I had a moral obligation to my audience to share more important content given the current circumstances I truly believe I owe it to my audience to be more for them during this turning point in our culture by red pilling them red by, pilling. The, by the thousands. Oh, I, oh! It turns out like her whole fan base is, lives in uh, deep underground military bases and are mole children. <laughs> <laughs> I owe it to you, the mole children, to but, finally give but back. That, that's also such an interesting fucking angle. Is like, yeah. it's like I owe it to you. Like yeah. I'm giving you the gift. I have yeah. eighty thousand mole children subscribed to my OnlyFans. <laughs> <laughs> Mold children love this body, and it is fresh for the summer. For next story, uh, QAnon follower faces terrorism charge after allegedly making a credible death threat against the Michigan governor. Detroit man Robert Sinclair Tesh, 32, was charged on account of terrorism after allegedly threatening to kill Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer. He's alleged to have messaged the threats to an acquaintance on social media and was arrested later that day. So this, uh, this didn't know this person that well, apparently, but this acquaintance apparently was freaked out enough to report it. Yeah. Uh, so details about the threat have not yet been released, but they will be disclosed during the court proceedings. Uh, on Tesh's Facebook page, he has also made approving reference to QAnon, including the where we go one, we go all hashtag. Mm. So this would mark uh, the second QAnon follower to be charged with, with uh, terrorism. So the first one was, of course, Arizona man uh, Matthew Edgar Wright, who pleaded guilty after holding an armed standoff with authorities on the Hoover Dam Bridge. And this is also uh, the second QAnon follower in as many weeks who is alleged to have uh, threatened a political leader after the uh, QAnon follower who was involved in that failed coup in Venezuela. Venezuela last week. 
Listen, you know horseshoe theory is real because this happens all the time to Antifa. You hear every day about how Antifa specifically planned to murder a governor. <laughs> Two in as many weeks. Let's see if it happens again this week. We can go three for three. Three, three, uh, three times as many weeks will be a trend. Well, we've been called ghost hunters, paranormal researchers. But we prefer to be known simply as Ed and Lorraine Ward. This week, dear listeners, I would like to tell you a story very near to my heart. Even though Valentine's Day was seven years ago, it is my privilege and honor to tell you the tales of America's original badass demon hunter couple, Ed and Lorraine Warren. I'm sure many of you have seen the hit movies based on their lives, The Conjuring, the Annabelle films, uh, the Nun series, uh, as well as about 14 different Amityville movies, all 14 of which basically sucked. They're also, the, people may know um, the fam close family relative Elizabeth Warren. They might have voted for her yes. in <laughs> yes. the primary. Yes. If you've seen that dog eat a burrito off a rug <laughs> with no plate, you know these people are dealing with like demons. Ed and Lorraine Warren have written countless books chronicling their various investigations and are no doubt respected as the most famous demon hunters in the world. They've been first on the scene in a number of the most famous paranormal hauntings ever recorded. And Ed is recognized by the Catholic Church as one of the world's premier demonologists. Unofficially, of course. Oh. Uh, Wait, so they don't they don't Well, they, the that? church, you'll so? see, the church goes to them and they will yeah. bring them in, but the church can't say that he's officially like a part of them because he's yeah. not an ordained minister, but all uh, there are a ton of people within the clergy that are on the record of like calling Ed one of the one of the biggest demonologists, one of the most renowned demonologists. Yeah. Uh, of present day. Yeah, I mean, Rod Dreher is it's, actually writing uh, columns about fucking exorcism and shit. This is very much a part of Yeah, life. well, and the church does have a wing of priests that are officially sanctioned to do the exorcism ritual. That is still a thing. Um, the Warrens, of course, are not without controversy, and they seem to have gotten under the skin of a, a couple of skeptics, to say the least. Uh, but as I'm in charge of this episode, I shall present merely the facts and let you, dear listener, make up your own mind. So without further ado... Travis is just... All right, well, Travis looks like he wants to hit the brakes so right. hard. <laughs> <laughs> well, do, do you have any questions before we start? No, I, I, feel, I feel like my questions will come word. after. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, I think he was uncomfortable with the use of the word facts. That's, <laughs> that's, where, he st that's where his eyes right. got a little jaunty. These uh, everything that I've reported here, uh, I've checked with multiple multiple sources, uh, mm -hmm. including interviews with the family members oh, as he's well. He's doubling down as well as the as well as the Warrens, as well as uh, some media articles written uh, at around around the same time period. So well, don't, we'll, so, we'll, so we'll put all that in the in the in the sources at the bottom. And uh, no, Travis, just sit down and be just, all right. Just enjoy you know, I'm yourself. Gonna, I'm Julie, gonna, I'm gonna have kill, you not had I'm, enough? I'm Purdue? gonna meditate a little bit. I'm gonna I'm gonna be fine. Yeah, just. Sit I'll just, I'll just I'll just settle in and I'll listen carefully right. with an open mind. Settle in. Yeah. Thank you, Travis. Yeah. Get a warm, finally yeah. get a warm cup of hot cocoa. So many and episodes a, and a cozy blanket, Julian. Don't bother listing the sources okay. on the, on the, what do you on mean? the post. <laughs> <laughs> Without further ado, may I present the strange tales of Ed and Lorraine Warren, American demon hunters. Ed Warren was born in September of 1926. He was the son of Pauline and Frank Edward Miney of Slovak and Czech descent. Ed claims his interest in the paranormal stemmed from living in a house growing up he thought to be haunted. His father was a police officer in Bridgeport, and although multiple members of Ed's family had claimed to have seen paranormal occurrences in the house, Ed's father held on to the opinion that the whole thing was baloney. There was a lot of confusion when I was small because my father, who was a police officer at that time, would always say to me, Ed, there's a logical reason for everything that happens in this house. These were not logical things. You don't see the, the uh, spirit of an old woman coming out of a, a closet. Your bed doesn't shake. You don't hear pounding sounds. The room doesn't turn icy cold. You don't see lights flashing across the room. These were not logical things. My dad knew it. But on the other hand, he didn't want to frighten us. And he always felt that uh, his religious beliefs were strong enough to take care of anything in that house because he was a very spiritual man. I don't think I ever know my father missing a day's mass. He always made sure he went to mass in the morning or went to church after work when he'd come home late at night. But he'd always make a visit to the church. 
So what I wanted to do was to find out if what he said was true. There's a logical reason for everything, Ed, but there wasn't. This is a house in Bridgeport? This is a house in Bridgeport, Connecticut on Jane Street. That was haunted. I lived there from the age of five until 12. Mm -hmm. This was my indoctrination into the world of the supernatural and preternatural. Man, what a charming man. He's, he's talked so uh, confidently, matter-of-factly. Yes, I was raised in the haunted house. It's not a big deal, but it's just, uh, you know, how it was. The interviewer looks like the Greek guy on Ancient Aliens. Like, he's, he's so the interviewer, he's like curious and stoked. The, the interviewer is their son-in-law, Tony Sparrow. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll get to this. We'll <laughs> Ed had a fairly normal working-class upbringing. Uh, he met his future wife, Lorraine, when she was 16. Ed was an usher at the Colonial Movie Theater where Lorraine and some friends had come to watch the new James Cagney film. After not finding too much about Ed and Lorraine's early life on the usual comms, I decided to take a peek at their website, and my goodness gracious, it does not disappoint. Uh, their son-in-law, Tony Sparrow, who runs the site, <laughs> has constructed an incredibly detailed timeline in the form of blog posts, which I will now perform. When Lorraine was just 16 years old, she and two of her friends went to the Colonial Theater in Bridgeport, Connecticut to watch a movie. The year was 1944. Of course, none of them drove, so they all walked from their houses to the theater. Before walking inside, one of the girls informed Lorraine that there was a boy who worked as an usher there and thought that Lorraine might like to meet him. At the time, Lorraine showed little interest in boys, and as she stated in later years, I didn't have any interest in boys. I was concentrating on my schoolwork, and besides, boys were rough. Not, not gentle, like my brother, Jim. Boys were too rough around the edges for me. But inside, the girls introduced her to the energetic young usher. His name was Ed. When she, when she saw Ed... <laughs> Stop, Julia, you're gonna make me... I'm not gonna be able to finish. <laughs> oh, God. When she saw Ed, she thought to herself, gee, what a nice-looking young man. She related later how spiffy he looked with his sharply creased pants and perfectly coiffed hair. She recalled, and he smelled... Like Noxima. <laughs> Parentheses, it says, Young Ed also worked as a lifeguard during the day, and after his shift would apply ample amounts, it's amble, but I think he means ample, yeah. ample amounts of Noxima cream to soothe the skin. Yeah, he also, like when you read Gentle about her brother, mm -hmm. she wrote it Gentile, mm -hmm. which is, I guess, the opposite of being Jewish. I yeah. don't know. Yeah, I don't that know. is what it is. But that's not probably. I don't know what, uh, if that's what they meant. Mr. Sparrow. Yeah, Tony Sparrow. The respectable Tony, Tony Sparrow. I don't think that's what Tony meant. <laughs> Shout out to Tony if you're What's listening. What's up, Tony? <laughs> Tony, man. Dude, you're the best. Mr. Sparrow. After the movie ended, young Ed happily offered to walk the three girls home. As they walked, Ed told the girls he would buy them all a, quote, Coke at the, quote, soda fountain. The other two girls ordered their Cokes. The sodas were five cents each. This is already an old person's story. <laughs> if you're going on way <laughs> too long, dude. Come on. Nobody cares. Get on with it. Just admit, oh, the back of my Ford Falcon okay, I'll when I mounted her above the, the city. I'll fast forward a little bit. So anyways. Don't fast forward anything. I want you to keep reading you want this. It? Old, yes, this old people's yeah, no. Keep talking bread. about how much soda costs I want. Then. I love the soda pop. When it came time for Lorraine to order her soda, she said, quote, I'll have an ice cream soda. That drink costs 10 cents. <laughs> in later years. Is this years, a math problem? In, this is an SAT question, right? In later years, Ed often joked, Lorraine ordered an ice cream soda for 10 cents. I always knew she was a gold digger. After the three girls had their drinks, they all continued on their way to their respective homes. This is the intro for Demon Hunters, right? On their website. Yeah. Just fantastic. Lorraine became worried that because her house was last on the route, that it would not be appropriate for Ed to walk her all the way to her house. After all, she left the house alone. So she told Ed that she would continue on to her destination alone. Ed nodded his understanding and then ran happily across the street to return to his own home. Oh my god. Lorraine. This is... <laughs> in, later, in later years recalled, quote, When he ran across the street, I didn't see the slender young man of 16. I psychically saw Ed as a grown man, no. a man that I would marry. In no. fact, when I returned home that evening, I wrote in my diary, Today I met the man I am going to marry. Let me ask you, you said... You have the ability to know things. Yeah. What do you mean by that? And what year, what, how old were you? It started about nine, Tony, that I had the ability to, I could see lights around people and know things about these people. But I didn't quite understand it. But I always had tremendous faith. I still do. I always felt that through prayer, everything could be 
changed, if it was God's will, anything could be helped. And I always relied on that. But I didn't understand what I experienced. Also, the night I met my husband, and I knew I was going to spend my life with him, I fully did not understand that. That mm -hmm. was my first outstanding thing that happened in my young adult life. Mm -hmm. So this is Tony Spera. Yeah, that's Tony. It's Tony. Tony looks like Zach Galifianakis playing someone. Like Tony? he looks like Zach Galifianakis playing an ancient aliens like interviewer. <laughs> <laughs> Rules. Tony married their daughter Judy. Oh yes. So uh, he was like absolutely wanted to marry into this family. And he like, this rule he absolutely wanted in, and he has like assisted on over a hundred paranormal investigations. He runs the website. He he too is a true believer. I think it sounds like he's the sort of the the one responsible for like breaking their operation online. Yes, right? absolutely. Yeah. So absolutely. the new age. He's the new age. He's, he's ushering them into the digital age. Yeah. I could see Travis spinning out of control Listen, during these interviews. Tony Spera is a webmaster. I think we can agree. But she, I mean, and when you when you when you when you look her up, you'll see she is like the uh, like the real life version of um, Zelda Rubenstein's yeah. character in Poltergeist. Like the same cadence yeah. of speaking. Like you can see, like it's a good performance. You yeah. know. I think Ed also has powerful breathing energy in that interview. <laughs> yeah, I do. A lot like Jake, where I have to cut out sometimes his thing because he's just slowly listening to Travis as he leans into the <laughs> microphone, breathing. <laughs> when well, Ed in the video too, Ed's got like aviator sunglasses on, yeah. but they're like in the studio oh, yeah. still. Seventies shit, dude. Less than a year later, uh, after their meeting in 1945. Ed enlists in the Navy on his 17th birthday, and he's deployed for four months before his ship gets sunk in the North Atlantic. Now, I tried to look into this and see if I could find any record of him serving on a ship, but uh, all, all I found is that this theoretically tracks because 1945 was the tail end of what's now called the Battle of the Atlantic, uh, where the Allied Navy went toe-to-toe -to -toe against German U-boats and fighter planes. Yeah. Travis um, loves theoretical tracking. Yeah. That's a good. <laughs> I mean, his story checks out. Uh, yeah. That what sh Navy ships were getting sunk. They existed, and he is he is a veteran. He did serve in the Navy, so you know what? Thank you for your service, sir. Thank you for your service, Ed. R.I.P. <clears throat> I won't say R.I.P. because I'll reveal later that they're dead. I'm sorry. Leave this. In. That's so funny. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, oh man, I couldn't tell from this video interview where he sounds like he's about to stop breathing. But yeah, no, he has died since the what the nineties. <laughs> this is my favorite accidental moment no. where he's like thinks I'm gonna cut it out, and I'm like, no, you no. once again have mind Back. comedic, and he's now melting. He's red. He's holding his eyes for some reason. You can't shield yourself. He's stamping his feet. What is this stamping your feet thing? That's new because that that I'm gonna have to cut out on the EQs. <laughs> Disgusting, slobbering mess. Demon Hunter. Well, we should uh, finish this episode so in honor of his memory. Uh, yeah, sorry. That's right. He's just, he's in a very religious mood when he thinks about the death of these two uh, honorable yeah. demon hunters. I just so. realized after you said that you were going to leave it in how funny it was. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I was laughing yeah. so hard. There we go. After his ship was sunk, Ed returned back home on a 30-day survivor leave. His brush with death had clearly made Ed decide what it was in life he truly valued. He and Lorraine married that very month. Ed continued to serve in the Navy until his service had concluded, and in 1951, he returned to Bridgeport, Connecticut to start a family with Lorraine. They were a match made in heaven. Lorraine had grown up in a staunchly religious Roman Catholic family. She claimed to be clairvoyant from a very young age, and as she honed her skills, she would come to identify herself as a light trance medium. A light trance medium? That's trance with an ace... NCE. Yes, so I looked this up for everybody because I didn't know what it meant. Uh, okay. And this was the definition given on a, a blog course, that seemed, seemed like they yeah. would know. A fact blog that Jake likes. When spirit links with a medium, the spirit communicator exerts various degrees of control or overshadows the consciousness of the medium to a greater or lesser degree. This varies depending upon the intent and conditions of communication, as well as the ability of the medium to lend himself or herself to be overshadowed or controlled. Trance is considered the strongest degree of control, yet even here there are various degrees of trance control, from light trance to very <laughs> deep trance. Yeah, there's deep trance, there's psychedelic trance. Deep trance is used primarily in, quote, physical mediumship. Oh my god. Wait, you found this on TravisView.com? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> slash <laughs> fact check. Taxonomy of medium. Slash yeah. true? 
Well, what they believe, what they believe yeah, is that believe. is that through meditation and and putting yourself in a trance, you can become a channel for a spirit that wants to communicate through your body, uh, which is what I think the physical mediumship means yeah. in this case. Mm. So wait, so so the light trance is like like the the, the spirit has sort of a, a little amount of control over yes. your body, and deep trance is like that you're possessed, right? Yeah, you could stab me okay. in the neck after this episode if you were in a deep trance and a bad spirit took over. Yeah, I would gotcha. only do that if a bad, <clears throat> bad spirit took over. An amateur painter already, Ed decided to enroll himself in the Perry Art School, which is a subsidiary of Yale. He mostly painted pictures of haunted locations from folklore all across Connecticut. In fact, his paintings were so good that he and Lorraine hopped in their car and toured the East Coast setting up pop-up shops so Ed could sell his work. They used to call them uh, soda fountains mm -hmm. back then. <laughs> Ed's obsession with the paranormal only increased and he would drag Lorraine, a skeptic at first, to any location within driving distance that was rumored to be haunted. So yeah, he, she, she he was pilled, a Roman Catholic. He pilled, I don't think that's a skeptic. Yeah, he, yeah. he further that's pilled. not really a skeptic of anything. Maybe just the next step, which they were about to embark on, where you fight the demons in real... It's incredible. In reality? Multiple sources said that Ed oftentimes would set up his easel in front of the house, uh, paint it or sketch it, then knock on the door and give the homeowners a painting... Incredible. And then, of course, you know, he would hope that they would invite him in for a tour and he would get to go see the haunted house. So that's how they started investigating is they sort of tricked people to, uh, to letting them in their house by painting a picture of their like haunted house and then giving it to them. So these guys are like the original take your photo on Splash Mountain and sell it to you for 30 bucks. Yes. Afterwards. Yes. <laughs> but, with haunted, but with haunted yeah. houses. Honey, there's uh, a couple out front. They're just painting our house with a ghost in the middle of it. <laughs> I think we should just pay them to leave. Paranormal Society. It's not easy, you know. You, you know, you see things and experience things. In 1952, Ed and Lorraine founded the New England Society for Psychic Research. The idea was to attract the top minds in parapsychology and differentiate between explainable phenomenon versus something truly paranormal. One of the things I personally always loved about the Warrens is that Ed often uh, works in these sort of pseudoscientific explanations of how paranormal occurrences took place. Um, and many of his theories uh, regarding spirits and electromagnetism still persist in the field today. And also, I mean, for f like myself, fans of the movie Ghostbusters is taken to the extreme amount as the Ghostbusters have these sort of incredible scientific explanations for how the paranormal world worked. And I, I think Ed Warren pioneered a lot of that sort of language. Venkman has PhDs in both psychology and parapsychology. And parapsychology. Exactly. They, yeah, they, they get kicked out of the uh, Columbia Department of Parapsychology or whatever, which yeah, is right. which is not a real department at Columbia, unfortunately. I don't want to podcast with you two anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so here's Ed talking about just that uh, in an interview taken at some point in the 90s, judging by the video quality. Now, I've always wondered just about that phenomenon itself, the, the moving objects. It, you know, ghosts, because they're portrayed as something, you know, you can put your hands through. And you know, what happens, Nick, is that they can solidify the atmosphere to any extent they want. For instance, the White Lady of Union Graveyard, which has been seen hundreds of times by many people in Trumbull, uh, sometimes, uh, in fact, it was one night, three transformers were burning down in Monroe, and firemen were called out, police officers were called out. They went out there, and one of the young firemen and a cop were in the truck together, and they were looking for a place to put up the horses. When the cop yelled, stop the truck, stop the truck, he looked up, and there was a woman all in white and they hit her, and she went over the hood and came back down over. Now, there's a convent right there, and he thought he must have hit a nun. He said to himself, my God, I'm going straight to hell. <laughs> she came out, you know, and to see yeah. what was going on. They jump out of the truck, the cop and the fireman. They look around the side, nothing. Uh, there was a lady who was right in back of him in a car, and she's yelling, what's the matter with you? Couldn't you see that woman? Couldn't you see her? And the cop says, there is no woman. She looks under the truck, she jumps back in her car, and she takes off. That was a solidification which occurred because the atmosphere was full of electromagnetic energy and electricity. The electricity was used to solidify this ghost to the extent it was almost like cement. A lot of times when you're in a haunted house and you try to walk stairs or come downstairs, all of a sudden you hit a block, the solid wall. That's because the atmosphere solidified to that extent. Uh, only the other night uh, there was a case of where a family would go into this room and their sheets would be cut to ribbons. The pillows would be cut to ribbons. They were frightened out of their skulls because of this, and because they figured, hey, it could happen to the sheets, it could happen to us. How could that happen? What it does is to solidify part of the atmosphere, 
into what we call a psychic knife. And it's so sharp that it can actually cut the, uh, the sheets or the blankets or whatever. I received slashes on my arms from such uh, psychic knives. Psychic yeah. knife, psychic it, by knife. the way, is going to be the name for my new wave project uh, yeah, that yeah. I that I discovered that I'm going to make last night. Um. <laughs> <laughs> the atmosphere solidifies into what we call the business here a psychic a knife. Psychic knife. It's That's, a sort of industry term. So what he's saying essentially is that the atmosphere, all of the stuff that's like around that I can put my hands through and it doesn't really impede my movement in any way, can. Uh, I guess bind itself so tightly through through electromagnetic or yeah. electromagnetic waves it that it can actually and sharp. cut. It can actually cut you. The air yeah. can cut you. From 1952 onwards, the Warrens investigated over 100 cases of paranormal activity. Ed became one of the world's foremost experts on demonology, and he and Lorraine worked, albeit unofficially, alongside the Catholic Church to alert them to any potential demonic activity. Throughout the course of their career, they never accepted payment for the investigation itself, but would ask their travel and lodging be reimbursed. The other cases. Some of their less famous investigations were oftentimes the strangest, like the curious case of Bill Ramsey, a man who as a child had terrified his parents after they found him gnawing on their chain mesh fence. <laughs> Over the years, he would have a handful of other incidents when he bit his friend's leg after a night out of the bar, and once again when he bit a nurse that was trying to administer a blood pressure test. Wait, so he's at a bar? So he's an adult just biting people? He's an adult, and he's biting his friends, he's biting he's biting mm. the nurse, and, and here he is on video talking about it. The story began uh, when I was nine years old. It was a very warm summer's evening. Suddenly the air went very cold. There was a terrible stench in the air, and I just flew into the most horrendous waves that... Uh, my mother and father came out to see what the hell was going on and the fence post was two or three inches square it was set into concrete in the ground I pulled it out and smashed it on the floor until it broke uh, well, I don't think I could do that now my mother and father just couldn't make out why their little nine year old boy suddenly started to act virtually like an animal in the garden Bill Ramsey thought it was an isolated childhood event he grew up, married, had children but then the violent episode from his childhood came back to haunt the adult. Strange animal behavior would overtake him, violence he couldn't control or explain. At first he could keep it secret, but then one day Bill Ramsey bit someone in public and the animal inside him wasn't a secret anymore. Soon after, Ramsey attacked a nurse at South End Hospital. I just had the feeling that ultimately I would kill somebody. Then, without reason or warning, Bill Ramsey attempted the murder of a police officer. He was locked up, and his life became a tangle of police, psychiatrists, and reporters. Wow, this is like, the, the footage, a lot of it is black and white, and it kind of, it's almost reminiscent of, like, markers, la jetée. It's kind of this black and white photos yeah, and stuff, yeah. and they're, they're, it's very yeah, cool. Yeah, there's, there's scary footage of, like, wolves' Lots teeth of wolves. and stuff. Uh -huh, and Lots like of wolves. The face and, of an owl. Yeah. Yeah, and then the eerie. guy. But this bad's just describing uh, yeah. struggling with a personality disorder while growing up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But he also bit people as an adult, so it sounds like he suffered from some pretty consistent not just a growing up thing yeah now, now it wasn't it wasn't until the warrens convinced bill ramsey to come to their church in connecticut and attend an exorcism with their own specialist a bishop robert mckenna mr judge my homie he turned into a, a turkey drumstick after we left the bar i was so hungry mr judge please exercise me <laughs> It wasn't until the Warrens convinced him to come to their church in Connecticut and attend an exorcism with their own specialist, Bishop Robert McKenna, that Ramsey understood that he might be a werewolf. Apparently, uh -huh. during the exorcism, Ramsey shapeshifted, growing long talons uh -huh. out of his hands. The bishop commanded that the demon haunting Ramsey leave, and it said the bishop was attacked by the entity as it left Bill's body. Wait, so a werewolf is just a type of demon? It's a type of demon that haunts you, yeah. Th okay. According to the Warrens, that's... I don't think yeah. the Roman Catholic Church is on board with this, but... According sure. to the New England Society of Psychic Research, the Warrens <laughs> captured the whole thing on videotape. Other cases varied in severity, from one involving a girl who demons had driven to practice human vampirism, so she was drinking people's blood because she thought that demons were telling her to, to another where a bipolar ghost helped an East Haddam family renovate their home. I gotta say, I mean, that sounds like a good kind of ghost. If it helps you, you know, do some interior decorating. Yeah, not all the ghosts are evil. Yeah. They deal with a lot of benevolent spirits as well. It's just, some it's of them just, will paint your house. Whatever the haunting was, wherever it was, the Warrens would go 
together. Also, when you think about it, they've got the best grift ever. It's like you get to travel the world, all yeah. expenses paid with your soulmate. You I tour mean, haunted houses yeah. together. You help people that everyone else calls crazy. I mean, I mean, this is a great. Nobody can really say you're a grifter because, like, you yeah. you're not charging for the investigations. You are making a shit ton of money on your books and your movies. There's housing and transportation. But you get to capture oh, video and, and write supper. about it. They would. They. They would. I was about to say these supper. people's fridges were empty when they left. Supper. Like just supper was part Ed of the writer. Sit, Ed, Ed would just sit at the dinner. It was like supper a, was part of the writer. Often cooked meal. Often a home cooked meal. Yeah, that's oh, what I'm saying. Damn, this I know, is this I know, is the you, best grift ever. The they best. would get there. Ed would sit at the fucking table, and his wife would open the fridge, empty everything out, <laughs> cook, God. just cook for like a banquet. Oh, yeah, but they like, would empty out these families when you look. Look at them, you're like, oh my god, that totally yeah. makes sense of like yeah. Ed being yeah. like, all right, pass the potatoes. Yeah, right. you know? Ed, Ed always left with like bologna in one one pocket, <laughs> some some government cheese in the other. <laughs> god bless him. You have been exercised. I I do want to say though that on the record, uh, I I believe that Ed and Lorraine weren't in it for the grift. I I think they were true believers for for what it's worth. Yeah, the podcast stands behind that. As of today, the paranormal society that Ed and Lorraine founded. Uh, is currently managed by the Warrens' daughter, Judy, and her husband, Tony Sparrow. Oh, God. Uh, and you can subscribe to them for just five bucks no, a month on Patreon uh, for exclusive behind the scenes content and a cachet of members only paranormal clips. How would you know? Did you already pay? Maybe. Uh, Tony Sparrow's OnlyFans. Where he does edging videos, Jake is just there's absolutely a bunch actually, There's there's actually uh, on the Warrens YouTube page. There's a bunch of Tony videos. There's one where he like gives you a tour of the museum, which we'll get to later. Yeah. But I think he's wearing he like I from my vague memory at like 4 a.m. last night. Like I think he's wearing like a vampire costume. Like while he takes you <laughs> through the, like while Shut he takes you through the thing, he's wearing some sort yeah. of cape, maybe like I don't a know. Van Helsing kind of uh, accoutrement. Or? Dude, they're incredible. Now there is good reason why Ed and Lorraine Warren are probably the most famous uh, celebrities in the paranormal and demonology circles. Uh, and that is because their stories have been adapted into incredibly popular movies. Uh, most recently, the Conjuring series, uh, which includes the Nun series and the Annabelle series. Uh, the films have been wildly successful, and I must say, I've seen them all and enjoyed them all thoroughly. Your favorite horror movie could very well be based on a real case investigated by the Warrens. Uh, I'm going to take you through their three most infamous encounters chronologically. Annabelle. In 1978, a mother purchased a vintage Raggedy Ann doll for her 28-year-old daughter, who at the time was working as a nurse and living with a friend in Hartford, Connecticut. The two women began to notice strange things with the doll. They would find it in places they hadn't left it. They were certain it would change positions, crossing its legs or entwining its arms. Then shit got really fucked up. The two nurses reported that they were finding messages scrawled on parchment paper in their apartment. On the paper were written things like, help me or help us. The girls contacted a local medium who came to their apartment and performed a reading. Mm. She seemed to think the doll was inhabited by the spirit of a young girl who had been killed in a car accident outside their home. The girl's name, Annabelle. I'm dying now that I know it's a Raggedy Ann doll. It's a Raggedy Ann. You'll see, we'll see it later. That is obviously not got, how they put it in the movies because you can't. Get no, the, no, it's like a creepy ass porcelain the doll. License. But when you see the real one later, I've got it. I, I, ha, I have it on video clips. Um, oh boy! You'll see. It's in a weird way. It it's almost creepier. The woman held a seance and she said, "There's a spirit of a six-year-old girl in that doll, who was killed in an automobile accident just outside of your apartment house here." Well, there was a six-year-old child by the name of Annabelle who was killed. But God does not allow the spirit of a child to go into a doll. This was a demon who was posing as that little child to create sympathy to these two young women, which it did. Now this was no longer a doll. This was a child. They would take it for rides. They'd talk to it. Mm -hmm. They'd buy clothing for it, jewelry. They treated it just as though... It was that little girl who was killed, Annabelle. Now they were giving it a lot of recognition. Soon after the first seance, things would happen in their house, what we refer to as infestation. There would be knocking sounds. They'd see flashing lights in their bedroom at night shooting across the room. The bed would shake a little bit. It would get icy cold. They'd hear whispering, which we call magic whispering. Now. From time to time, these girls would change shifts. 
But they were getting a little scared now. So they decided to stay on the same shift all the time, mm -hmm. 4 to 12. They'd leave the doll in the bedroom. They'd come home after midnight, put the key in the door, unlock the door, and who do you think is standing there? The raggedy end doll. Standing there. Now that doll has <laughs> flimsy legs. Yeah. If you try to stand it up, you can't. I've seen that doll stand. I've seen a lot of things happen around that doll. Tony is just absolutely yes. ready for it. He's fucking compelling, he is, is he not? Like, he is. Because he, he, he has the air of an expert. It's like you see, oh, see, it happened was, uh, see, metaphysically, it's impossible for a child to, uh, to take a doll. We knew it was a demon. Uh, so what, what happens, what we call the business here, infestation. So yeah. what we got. He talks like, like a plumber yeah. or, yeah. or an exactly. exterminator. like a I've, mechanic telling you what's wrong with your car, trying to break it down for you. Yeah, but, but it, it, uh, this is a really interesting sort of uh, example of how somebody can take something that there is literally like no scientific base for right. and just fucking sell yeah. like like it's i mean it's incredible i mean it there's is. a reason that they were the best I mean, the yeah, american dream yeah yeah it's like yeah it's like he was he was so confident but yeah he also applied this sort of like technical terminology to like you know paranormal phenomenon so uh, according to ed uh, seeing the doll standing at their doorway still did not send the girls running and screaming it wasn't until one night when one of their fiancés had crashed on the living room couch, he hated the doll and would constantly beg the girls to get rid of it. But one of the fiancés or one of the girls was against all of this. He said, burn the doll, throw it away, get rid of it. It's evil. Well, he falls asleep one afternoon, a Saturday, and uh, the doll is in a chair not far from him, and the girls are cleaning up the apartment. Mm -hmm. He wakes up with a start. He said, my God, what a nightmare said, uh, I dreamt that that doll was strangling me. He had marks on his throat. Was it psychosomatic? Well, let's see. He gets up, he looks at the doll in the chair, picks it up, and throws it right across the room. You're nothing but a rag doll. You couldn't hurt anyone. With that, Tony, seven psychic slashes appear on his body. Wow. Now, we've seen these kind of slashes. We've filmed them. These slashes come from nowhere. The blood came right through his shirt. The nurses witnessed this. Then, a huge chair rolled across the room. Pictures on the walls came off, started smashing and breaking. Loud pounding sounds. Now they were all frightened. They called the High Episcopal Canon in Hartford, Connecticut. He called Father Richard Nolan, an exorcist, and Father Nolan called us. Oh, it's so fucking good. He's like, he's like, they called the church. The church called the father, and the father called us. Yeah, right. It's a fucking great line. Like it is, it is, it is. Like who does the church come to when they got to, they got yeah. a demon they can't exercise? They come to me. They come to me. It's so fucking dope. <laughs> I, I I can't help but fucking just love these guys just for the whole the shtick of it all. It's ah, oh, it's fantastic. Uh, so as the story goes, the Warrens quickly realized that Annabelle uh, had been a Trojan horse for something far more sinister. They brought in a priest specializing in exorcisms, but the ritual failed. Uh, they had no choice but to throw the doll in a bag and try to get it back to their home in Connecticut. Ed knew to take side roads because it was a very real possibility that the car could be affected by the entity. Sure enough, the car's engine failed all the way to Bridgeport. The doll now resides at the Warrens Museum, a personal collection of haunted items that I believe you can still tour. The Perone Family the Perone family moved into a 14-room farmhouse in January of 1971. Roger, Carolyn, and their five daughters. The house had been a steal, and even though Roger and Carolyn had fallen on tough financial times, it was worth it to live in a place as beautiful as Harrisville, Rhode Island. It started small, a broom moving between closets, small piles of dirt forming on clean floors. Weird shit. If you've seen the film The Conjuring, it pretty accurately details the family's experience. Warren, as well as Andrea Perone, one of the original survivors, worked alongside filmmaker James Wan to keep the tale's authenticity intact. There was the smell of rotting flesh, cold spots, doors slamming, objects moving across the room in the middle of the night, all the stuff that you want. Apparently, the house had a pretty infamous reputation in the area, and neighbors had even told the Perone family when they first moved in to sleep with the lights on. One of the daughters, Cindy Perone, said that she'd find stuffed animals or other toys of hers shoved under the bed. However, many of the entities seemed benevolent. Cindy recalled that, when we first moved into the house for the first two months, there was a woman that came and kissed me every night on the forehead that I thought was my mother. But something began to happen to the girl's mother. 
She seemed to be tormented by something in the house, not sleeping, waking up with cuts and bruises. It was clear that whatever evil spirits were in the house, they began to focus all of their attention on her. There was a breaking point when Carolyn claims to have been visited by a woman wearing all gray, whose head hung to the side as if it were broken. The woman told her to leave or be driven out by sheer terror. This was when the family consulted a local priest who then referred them to Ed and Lorraine Warren. According to the Warrens, who visited the house multiple times over the course of a couple months, the house was inhabited by a powerful, angry spirit, a woman named Bathsheba Thayer, who had lived and died in the 1800s and was buried in a local cemetery very close to the house. Now, this was a real woman. She was born in 1812 and died in 1885. She is buried in the local Harrisville Cemetery, uh, but that was about it. Uh, local census records show that she had four children, uh, three of which died at a young age, which was totally common for the time period. Uh, there are no public records of her being accused of Satanism or anything else. In fact, her children are buried right next to her in the cemetery. Sorry to disappoint you, Travis. Oh, I thought this one was real. I know you were yeah. fucking hoping yeah, yeah. for it. I know you were hoping for it. But Bathsheba is a crazy fucking name, but her mother was also named Bathsheba, which is a biblical name or some shit. In the movie, she's, you know, this witch who who murdered her own, you know, who sacrificed her own children to Satan. Oh, also, even though the movie The Conjuring shows Ed performing an exorcism at the end of the film, uh, the couple reiterates that this would never have been done, uh, as Ed was not a priest. He was not officially sanctioned by the church to perform such a ritual. The Warrens instead claim that they performed seances, which coaxed the evil spirit out of Carolyn Perone. Due to financial hardship, the family continued to live in the house until 1980, when they finally saved up enough money money to move out. Uh, I'd like to reiterate, every single member of the Perone family claimed to have experienced the disturbances. Uh, Andrea, the second oldest, even wrote a book, House of Darkness and Light, which is available on most digital platforms. The family all co-signed on it and are very much in agreement that they were plagued by real-life ghosts, for what it's worth. Years later, while doing press for Andrea's book, two of the sisters talked about revisiting the house after many years. All I know is that Cindy and I one day decided that we were going to go back and visit, and we headed up to Harris and, and my sister and Cindy and I, we went from what was the woodshed into the summer kitchen and we walked into the house and all of a sudden, uh, imagine yourself inside a balloon and the balloon is blown up around you and the air pressure is very intense around you and at that point they began touching my hair very gently and touching my face and saying to me, oh my God, it's you, you're back. And Mrs. Sutcliffe said to us, something is happening to you right now, isn't it? And I, I was embarrassed, I said no, but I could hear my sister Cindy say yes. And I didn't realize that she was in that so-called balloon with me. And Mrs. Sutcliffe told us at that point that she had been experiencing some, some paranormal activity in the house. Her husband had also been experiencing things. And friends of hers who had come to, to visit and stay overnight were also experiencing some things. And we, she gave us um, a tour of the house and she asked us several questions about, uh, an example of that was, where was your mother's bedroom? And we told her what room it was, and she said, okay, now that makes a lot of sense. We've had a lot of trouble with this room, and that's where the, the spirit had appeared to my mother and threatened my mother. But when we got out to the car, I will say my sister turned to me and she said, did you feel that fucking bad in your field? So at the end she I says, so at the end she I says barrier field. It's kind of hard to hear. I had to listen yeah. to it a bunch of times before I like figured out what it was. But she said, did you feel that fucking barrier? So even now, 40 years later or however, these two sisters have gone back to, to, to this house and are giving conferences uh, basically uh, saying that, yes, it's still true. Yeah, to wrapped uh, you know, uh, enthusiastic audiences. Yes. There's like the cut <laughs> Very to the crowd. Very UFO conference. They were, they were yes. mouths <laughs> open, you know, yeah. entranced by what they were saying. Yeah, the feel is absolutely like, yeah, hotel at the airport, uh, ballroom. Yeah. Like, they, chairs set up in a row. It's like, 
It's really every yeah. And the sisters are so like uh, the sisters are so like Midwest mom like they're they so down I to earth them. and like yeah. That's so funny. Yeah, God bless they, them. it's it, it's interesting to see like because there's so many tales like this of people who live in haunted houses blah 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 blah. But there's there are certain families that sort of like take off and and it's Write interesting. That book, Queen. And it's interesting to sort of no. There's been many. Stack there's it. been many 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 books. Uh, but it's interesting to see which families sort of like become famous, which which brings me uh, to our final case of the Warrens, which is probably the most famous of all. Amityville. Uh, now, this is definitely the most, I think, well-known of all of Ed and Lorraine's investigations. And and we still, for the love of God, can't get a decent Amityville horror movie. Uh, the one in the early thousands with uh, uh, Ryan Reynolds is only good because Ryan Reynolds is, is fucking cut in it. I don't know if you guys what? have seen what? it. But he's, How does this, is this a requirement to, uh, for a good Amityville movie? Dude, no, but that I mean, Ryan Reynolds be cut. What kind of a brain? No, formulates- it, I'm just saying that was the only good thing about it was just like marveling at, at yeah. his uh, his so, physical his physical condition. Sometimes I can actually see the JPEG compression artifacts on your thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, wasn't very good. And the '70s <laughs> movies, I know, I know, one's a cult classic, but I tried to watch it not too long ago, and I was, it was bad. Anyways, the true story is actually really, really sad. So. On November 13th, 1974, Ronnie DeFeo ran into a bar called Henry's in Amityville, Long Island, and shouted, You gotta help me! I think my mother and father are shot! Ronnie got together a small group from the bar and went over to his house. Sure enough, a couple people went inside to investigate and found both Ronald DeFeo Sr. and his wife, Louise, shot dead in their beds. Ronnie's friend immediately called the Suffolk police, who arrived on the scene and found Ronnie's entire family dead, including his four siblings, who were, you know, like, I think the youngest was like eight or Mm -hmm. 10, there was like 8, 10, and 12, just awful. Um, Ronnie suggested to the officers on the scene that a hitman for the mob had perpetrated the killings, but on further examination, the detectives on the case found major inconsistencies with Ronnie's story. Hmm. After more questioning, Ronnie eventually caved and admitted to killing his entire family. His explanation? He had heard their voices plotting to kill him, so in his mind, the murders were in self-defense. Although his defense attorneys tried to get the judge to rule that Ronnie was insane, he was found guilty of six counts of second-degree murder and sentenced to six concurrent life sentences in 1975. He is still in prison. While behind bars, DeFeo came up with a range of new scenarios that had taken place on the night of the murders, alleviating him of the blame. But every single judge has dismissed his plea for a new trial. Truth be told, he might have been able to stick with the Mafia hitman story. I dug a little deeper and found out that uh, the DeFeo Sr., who he murdered, his dad, is actually brothers with a guy named Pete DeFeo, who was a capo with the Genovese crime family. That's for real. Yeah. Pilled people keep killing mob bosses. A year after the murders, a new family, the Lutzes, moved into the old DeFeo house. The house was a fucking bargain at $80,000 and came with a lot of the DeFeo's old furniture. They lasted 28 days before leaving, claiming the house was cursed. They observed crazy phenomenon. Uh, The father, George Lutz, uh, began waking up every night around 3.15 a.m., when police believe would have been the time of the original murders. Uh, A priest who Kathy Lutz had begged to come by uh, and bless the house swears he heard a voice yell, get out, and begged the family not to sleep in a particular room. There were strange smells accompanied by green ooze dripping out of the walls and keyholes, like real biblical shit. Uh, They claimed that their kids levitated from their bed and that they even saw a red-eyed pig-looking creature staring at them through the windows. Yeah, everyone remembers the green ooze of the Bible. Of course. Many doubted the story. It was discovered that the DeFeos were in quite a bit of financial trouble, and a former lawyer of theirs claimed the three of them had made up the entire story over a couple bottles of wine as a get-rich-quick scheme. Nevertheless, five months after the DeFeos left the Amityville house, Ed and Lorraine Warren showed up with an entire team of absolute pros to put in work on the house. So... Uh, we could potentially have a situation here where two teams of LARPers have sort of, you know, pulled one over on each other. It's like they LARP the haunting and yeah. then the the Warrens sort of LARP the investigation. And it, it's engraved into pop culture. And here we are talking about it yeah. over 30 years later on our, right. on our show. A lot this of is... these are, yeah, live LARPing uh, kind of skits, you know, that start yes. and end. And people get involved. The usual. Yeah, the usual. The, yeah. The usual. The usual on one side. <laughs> <Just> a, <laughs> 
This is the just Warrens. a huge, highly profitable improv game that also got yeah. them, you know, uh, free dinners. And it's uh, and millions. I mean, potentially she, giving us stories for movies. She, Travis, she she L- Lorraine made like I think 150k uh, consulting fee on the first Conjuring film. They wow. also do. They also do speaking engage. They you know they do speaking engagements. And stuff. <laughs> Honestly, if if they are grifters, which I'm not accusing them of. This is the kind of grifter that I actually reminisce for. Yeah, yeah. I know. Like, bring I know. back this type yeah. of grifter. That's why I thought this would be a, gr- a perfect episode for yeah. for right now. Everything fucking. This is sucks. basically Jake's like, grift. You tell a good story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is my <laughs> grift. It's it's a meta. It's a meta episode because it it also it it harkens back to the days of 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 of, of a, a simple grift, a, something that you were passionate <laughs> about. You know, like yeah, that had some craft to it. Damn it, you weren't trying to you weren't trying to you know own people on Twitter or whatever. You just like you know wanted to tell like a great stories and, and spread the love of God. And you know, uh, compared to today's uh, people. Uh, and Travis, right. look at this photo that's coming up. I mean, can you, are you not creeped out by this? Yes. Okay. So I, I do have to admit that um, uh, there is a picture taken in the house uh, by the Warrens that allegedly captures one of the younger spirits trapped in the house. And it's pretty fucking creepy. Yeah, it's creepy. Uh, the Warrens claimed uh, that due to the violence that had taken place inside the Amityville house, that it had become a portal, opening a window to something supremely sinister. Ed hypothesized that due to the house's directional layout and proximity to a large body of water, there was a strong electromagnetic current that made the house ripe for attracting entities. Right. I love, I love that. this shit. He this just is, comes up with yeah, these theories based I, on nothing that yeah. sound plausible. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. He just licks his finger, puts it in the <laughs> yeah, air. He's right. like, psychic knives. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Lorraine claimed that the evil from the house followed her and Ed long after they left Long Island. While driving back to their home, they lost control of their car and careened into a nearby ditch. Luckily, neither was seriously injured, but they both maintained that the accident was a direct result of them meddling in the Amityville case. Here is Lorraine shortly before her passing, uh, speaking during a tour of their museum in Bridgeport. Why did it happen to me? I don't really know. I do not have the answers for that. I played places like Amityville. If you gave me one billion dollars, I wouldn't go in the house again because it messed up my life and my husband's life. Terrible, horrible, horrible place. Oh, it's terrible. That it, that's where I levitated with my body in that home. And which it was the things that happened there were terrible. The one thing that I think she could be talking about, which I don't want to go too much in depth to, but I think it would be dishonest to not include in the conversation about the Warrens' life. There was a lawsuit later in their career where a young woman who had lived with them for four decades claimed that she was courted for a relationship with Ed when she was 15 years old with Lorraine's approval. And that the three of them lived for four decades in the house together, and he had both of them as as partners. That they were in like some sort of yeah. s- weird, weird. Ed was running a little polygamy scheme. Weird too. arrangement. I believe that the case is still is still ongoing. The museum. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Secrets of the Supernatural. I'm your moderator, Tony Sparrow. Ed passed away in 2006, and Lorraine just last year at the age of 92. God bless each of their souls. May they rest in peace. Fortunately, a piece of them will always remain with us. As far as I know, the museum, which is located in Ed and Lorraine's former house in Bridgeport, <laughs> is still accepting visitors. Uh, on Google, it says that they are open 24 hours. Even now during COVID? Even now during COVID. Oh, fantastic. You can go see that fucking yeah. raggedy end doll. Now, this this is a paid tour uh, where you get to go to the house and see all of the haunted relics that the couple has amassed during their careers. And, and of course, uh, get to hear the stories that go along with them. The big sell here is apparently the Warrens show you unreleased videos of their best evidence and uh, try as I might I could not find any leaks online anywhere mm. nobody had leaked it oh out I God. looked on Reddit I looked on Reddit to see if somebody had gone uh, maybe uh, they let you see it in the room and then you have to leave um, 
You know, it's like no phones allowed. Yeah, it's, it sounds like they have they're really good opsec on this. Yeah, I uh, yeah, man, that sounds actually really cool. I'd like to see this. I know. I we uh, should go to this thing. Yeah. So uh, before they passed away, Ed and Lorraine would actually give the tours themselves. You would go and like hang out with them, and it was like you would pay. You know, it was like a hundred bucks or whatever, and there was like a meal included, like probably like cheese nice. sandwiches or something like that. You and you just got to like go into their house and, and hang out. That's what that last YouTube video was from. It was from a Damn. visitor. Well, we can look forward to probable cheese sandwiches. Um, and and I got to admit, I I really regret not going. It was something that I always wanted to do was to go and see them do you know While see them do alive. it in in the you know because she was around. I mean, Ed died in two thousand six, yeah. and she was around up until twenty nineteen. She did press for the the last Conjuring movie. There is a nineteen ninety seven piece from the Connecticut Post that I stumbled upon uh, where two skeptics, uh, Steve Novella and Perry DeAngelis, uh, claimed they paid thirteen dollars to take the tour of the Warrens Haunted Museum and weren't impressed. Uh, I'll let Travis pl- uh, read the part of the skeptic here. They have a ton of fish stories about evidence that got away. They're not doing good scientific investigation. They have a predetermined conclusion which they adhere to literally and religiously, according to Novella. It takes work to do solid critical thinking, to actually employ your intellectual faculties and come to a conclusion that actually reflects reality. That's what scientists do every day, and that's what skeptics advocate. They, the Warrens, claim to have scientific evidence which does indeed prove the existence of ghosts, which sounds like a testable claim into which we can sink our investigative teeth. What we found was a very nice couple, some genuinely sincere people, but absolutely no compelling evidence. Now, the, Travis just like cracked his knuckles yeah, and was really like, like oh, yeah, yeah, exactly yeah, as I thought. Sounds about right. Sounds yeah, about right. Exactly nice as people, I but yeah, like, nice, nice yeah. people. <laughs> Uh, the Warrens would beg to differ, Travis. Uh, uh, there's one they? particular sick people like Travis tend to agree with each other. There's one. There's one particularly uh, popular story about a punk who came to the museum. He was trying to impress his girlfriend, uh, and he began to taunt the famous Annabelle doll. Uh, he was tapping on the case and saying, "You can't hurt me. You're just a doll." You know that stuff. Uh huh. And he allegedly died three hours later in a motorcycle accident. Oddly enough, I found a Daily Beast article from last year that seems to validate the museum's claim. Uh, quote, This is the museum's centerpiece. Named Annabelle, the doll is said to be haunted by the spirit of a young girl. Fans of the 2013 horror film The Conjuring may be familiar with the doll, which plays a central role. Though it was exercised and is now caged, it apparently still moves about and growls at visitors. The doll is, quote, believed to be responsible for the death of an individual who came into contact with it, the museum notes. The last person to touch it apparently died in a motorcycle accident after leaving the museum. He had, according to the museum, challenged the doll to do its worst before leaving. So, so uh, all the museum claims. Yeah, so that's yeah. the museum claims. So and also, not... this could be a Halloween Daily Beast article. <laughs> I love that he or... read the skeptic part. He made Travis get his satisfying end, and then he was just like, one last... Questionable oh, no. Well, I just pill. wanted you guys to One know that questionable... it wasn't just me no. recording the, the yeah, motorcycle that's, accident. That's there true. were other people looking into it as well. That's all I wanted. You mean there were other people covering that the museum hilariously was claiming this? But that's that's how skepticism works. You tell people that there's no evidence for this claim. People ignore you and they believe it anyway and they move on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Big loser. <laughs> big loser. The loser energy to fucking yeah, big to let a skeptic change your mind. <laughs> <Yeah>. skeptic <laughs> like, shit. How dare you. <laughs> it, until skeptics stop having big loser energy, I <laughs> don't give a shit. <laughs> If you go to the Warren's YouTube page, uh, there are some videos of the museum, but I found this one near the end of Lorraine's life to be the most interesting. In it, she gracefully invites a reporter into her home to show off the museum's piece de resistance, Annabelle. You're um, in probably one of the most haunted places in the world because of the things that are in here. Everything in here has been taken from some place where people were either killed or maimed or so, so many ways. So it's, it's tragic for me, you know, to even go in. People are very, very interested in the museum. And there's some people that are afraid to even go in. Right here is a conjuring mirror. Everything and anything in here we have investigated. Don't ever touch anything. And if you do, let me know. This is the worst thing in here. It's that doll. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna stare at it though. So you you can take the picture, but I'm not gonna stare at it because that is that has done badly 
bad harm on a lot of people. You have to conjure the spirits in order to get them. You know, you're not going to get them by just walking around here. Absolutely dying. It's just a normal Raggedy Ann doll. They've put it in a box with red light. Yeah. And glass <laughs> and a glass case. The guy's zooming into like just an immaculate, totally uncreepy, just normal Raggedy Ann doll face that's just illuminated by the red light in the box that they've created to house it. I don't know. I think the it's The museum creepy. is like next level Halloween shit. They just have yeah, like, yeah, like I know. borderline like, yeah. I know. <laughs> well, that's also in the full in the full um, like uh, 90s um, uh, Connecticut Post article. Like that's what the, the two skeptics say is they're, they're, they're from like a skeptic society. Society. Yeah, what and a so bunch like, of freaking that's, that's losers. <laughs> they were like, oh, all those props and stuff. They're like, yeah, it's, it kind of looks like a Halloween house, you know, Halloween house stuff. But I think, who knows, somebody could have bought a cheap Halloween house thing and on Halloween fucked around a little bit with a Ouija board or something and got a fucking demon into their, you know, plastic pumpkin. <laughs> In their lifetime, Ed and Lorraine have written more than nine books about the cases that they've encountered. And of course, those books have been made into major Hollywood blockbusters with dozens of sequels, prequels and spinoffs. I actually discovered the Warrens uh, when Lorraine appeared on a couple episodes of Paranormal State. Uh, this is an early thousands, I think. I, I actually don't know when it's from, but it was an A&E show that was about this moody college guy who was a paranormal investigator. Uh, and I'd completely forgotten about it until doing research for this episode. And I'm definitely going to bootleg the entire series now. Uh, I've included the trailer for everybody because I think we could all use a laugh after all the spooky stuff. My name is Ryan, and I'm a paranormal investigator. As a kid, my experiences with the supernatural terrified me, and I've been searching for answers ever since. When I got to Penn State, I realized I wasn't alone in my quest. So I founded the Paranormal Research Society, dedicated to helping those who were haunted like I was. We are students. We are seekers. And sometimes we're warriors. And each time we help someone, I feel like I'm one step closer to finding the truth. This is Paranormal State. Wow, that's I can't a, that was a, a real, real show. show. That was a real uh, show on Annie, and it was him and a team of like moody teenagers that were just like, oh, Hello, guess we better go in Fucking there and get reading. Stupid and ghosts and shit. <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah, the the whole thing. I think I think is yeah, it's, it's, it's really sweet. This is fine. Listen, millions of people believe that we live in a demon haunted world, and uh, some people are just smart enough to make it the family business. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Why not read this uh, perfect passage from a uh, Q person in some DMs that we had access to? <laughs> Yeah, I don't want to disclose too much, but I may have infiltrated some uh, some secret Q army uh, yeah. group DMs. We've got definitely have an episode in the brewing. Yeah, yeah in good, the brewing stage. If you're a Q, if you're a Q person, listen to us. Good, good luck figuring out which one's Travis. Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> this guy with just a an American flag Q as his uh, AVI wrote, "What indeed is the internet but a place of air? Thus, here in this box of air is where angels and demons wage war through us." So, folks, this is the war in the air of prophecy, and we are a part of it. Comma, dot, dot, amen. amen, amen. I think he's talking about a psychic knife. Yeah. It's yeah. a war in the air. Yeah. Absolutely. The internet. The air. He means that posting is, like, real. P- posting is. You can is, post at the demons. You're posting bombs. You yeah, can post at knives. the demons. You don't have to leave your house to be Ed anymore. Yeah, you can post at the demons and just get people to send you nudes instead of doing polygamy. The, the electromagnetism it gives off when you hit send and right. your post travels from just your phone like mm-hmm. into a place where every and there's there's 21 um there's 21 grams of weight that, that oh god <laughs> which they say they He's say gone. is the spirit we've um, lost him <laughs> in conclusion ed and lorraine warren were the fucking greatest i mean other than that whole polygamy thing where they yeah, maybe entrapped a younger woman <laughs> for decades yeah exactly that might just a small stain on their career god now the rest of my i guess i'll still read what i wrote uh if it was all a griff they really went for it and never faltered until the day each of them died they're responsible for the inspiration of some classic horror movies and literally every single interview I read, people remarked how lovely they were, except for the young woman who claims that they imprisoned her for <laughs> four decades. <laughs> how in love they were and how committed they were to the paranormal community. Oh, yeah. So here's to you, Ed and Lorraine. You wrote this. You wrote this. Keep reading it. You have to finish it so now, che- you piece of shit. So, che- so cheers to you, Ed and Lorraine. <laughs> 
<laughs> if there is such a thing as God, you are surely by his side. Wow. Mm. Wow. That's well, a lovely tribute. That's very nice. You were so pilled by the end of this. Just absolutely. Just singing their I just their don't praise. want any like, bad spirits oh coming my God, after me. I, so he got terrified at the yeah, end. He's like, I, I, I can't say anything. It was anything. like five in the morning, dude. I was like yeah. so Hide scared. Hide the polygamy. Hide the polygamy. I was right. like looking at all the, yeah, and it kind of came up out of nowhere. And I was like, <laughs> I started like shuffling through the court documents and stuff. <laughs> oh, this looks bad. Exit, exit. <laughs> exit. Yeah. Back exit, out. This exit, is not the back ghost story shit I'm trying to write. But I'd rather do I'd rather do it this way than have yeah. somebody be like, oh yeah, you kind of like didn't even say anything about this fucking like potentially no. like Good weird. Job. You're an ally. You're great. All right, we can end this episode. <laughs> Thanks for listening to another premium episode of the Cute On. This wasn't premium. Podcast. This is on main. Holy shit. <laughs> Thank you for listening to another episode of QAnon Anonymous. If you would like to support us on Patreon and get a whole second episode every week, you should go to patreon.com slash QAnon Anonymous. And uh, yeah, that helps us make the show. We're totally independent. We don't run any ads. Yeah, what's funny is we've kind of gotten kind of hung up on some pretty cool investigative stuff behind real conspiracies. And a lot of those have right. ended up on recent premiums. So they're really, those have been, I'm really proud of all of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think we're going to be moving into less serious territory for a little while because I think everyone's a little cooped up yeah so yeah enjoy more of jake doing this to us <laughs> and your brain uh on the regular but uh but yeah also next week uh, we will double up with that and this week we have a, a great uh, travis uh written premium episode about the the real pandemic, which is uh the responsibility of purdue pharma fascinating and thrilling shit if you want to watch us on twitch we stream twice a week that's twitch.tv slash qanon anonymous we also have a website qanonanonymous.com and there you can go for our lost episodes two to six to get access to our discord community which is free and also we have a soundtrack available there for some of the music that we've used in the past listener Listener, until next week week. may the deep dish bless you you and and keep you It's not a conspiracy, it's fact. And now, today's auto cue. I have a friend who's a high spiritual yogi. I asked him, I said, is it possible there is such a thing as a vampire? And he said, yes, Ed. The vampire is a man or a woman who has practiced black magic or sorcery in their lifetime. They have made a pact with the devils, diabolical, that... They will go into a catatonic state and carry out very negative deeds. In other words, a pact between the devils and the human spirit.